Introduction to The House by the Medlar Tree This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Denham The House by the Medlar Tree by Giovanni Verga Translated by Mary A. Craig Introduction by W. D. Howells Anyone who loves simplicity or respects sincerity, anyone who feels the tie binding us all together in the helplessness of our common human life, and running from the lowliest as well as the highest to the mystery immeasurably above the whole earth, must find a rare and tender pleasure in this simple story of an Italian fishing village. I cannot promise that it will interest any other sort of readers, but I do not believe that any other sort are worth interesting, and so I can praise Signor Verga's book without reserve as one of the most perfect pieces of literature that I know. When we talk of the great modern movement towards reality, we speak without the documents if we leave this book out of the count for i can think of no other novel in which the facts have been more faithfully reproduced or with a profounder regard for the poetry that resides in facts and resides nowhere else signor verga began long ago in his vita dei campi life of the fields to give proof of his fitness to live in our time and after some excursions in the region of french naturalism he here returns to the original sources of his inspiration, and offers us a masterpiece of the finest realism. He is, I believe, a Sicilian, of that meridional race among whom the Italian language first took form, and who in these latest days have done some of the best things in Italian literature. It is of the far south that he writes, and of people whose passions are elemental, and whose natures are simple. The characters, therefore, are types of good and of evil, of good and of generosity, of truth and of falsehood. They are not the less personal for this reason, and the life which they embody is none the less veritable. It will be well for the reader who comes to this book with the usual prejudices against the southern Italians, to know that such souls as Padron Ntoni and the Maruta la Longa with their impassioned conceptions of honour and duty, exist among them, and that such love idyls as that of Mena and Alfio, so sweet, so pure, and the happier but not less charming everyday romance of Alessio and Nunziata, are passages of a life supposedly wholly benighted and degraded. This poet, as I must call the author, does again the highest office of poetry, in making us intimate with the hearts of men of another faith, race, and condition, and teaching us how like ourselves they are in all that is truest in them. Padron Antoni and La Longa, Luca, Mena, Alfio, Nunziata, Alessio, if harshly are named, might pass for New England types which we boast the product of Puritanism but which are really the product of conscience and order. The children of disorder who move through the story, the selfish, the vicious, the greedy, 
like Don Silvestro and La Vespa and Goosefoot and Dumbbell, or the merely weak like poor Antoni Malavoglia, are not so different from our own images either, when seen in this clear glass which falsifies and distorts nothing. Few tales, I think, are more moving, more full of heartbreak than this, for few are so honest. By this I mean that the effect in it is precisely that which the author aimed at. He meant to let us see just what manner of men and women went to make up the life of a little Italian town of the present day, and he meant to let the people show themselves with the least possible explanation or comment from him. The transaction of the story is in the highest degree dramatic, but events follow one another with the even sequence of hours on the clock. You are not prepared to value them beforehand. They are not advertised to tempt your curiosity, like feats promised at the circus, in the fashion of the feebler novels. Often it is in the retrospect that you recognize their importance and perceive their full significance. In this most subtly artistic management of his material, the author is most a master, and almost more than any other he has the rare gift of trusting the intelligence of his reader. He seems to have no more sense of authority or supremacy concerning the personages than any one of them would have in telling the story, and he has as completely freed himself from literosity as the most unlettered among them. Under his faithful touch, life seems mainly sad in Trezza, because life is mainly sad everywhere, and because men there have not yet adjusted themselves to the only terms which can render life tolerable anywhere. They are still rivals, traitors, enemies, and have not learned that in the vast orphanage of nature they have no resource but love and union among themselves, and submission to the unfathomable wisdom which was before they were. Yet seen aright, this picture of a little bit of the world, very common and low down and far off, has a consolation which no one need miss. There, as in every part of the world, and in the whole world, goodness brings not pleasure, not happiness, but it brings peace and rest to the soul, and lightens all burdens. The trial and the sorrow go on for good and evil alike. Only those who choose the evil have no peace. End of Introduction Recording by Tom Denham